Good day to you. Welcome to Let's Talk. No, we're off to a great start. Yep. Welcome to Let's Rock More Talk, brand new podcast on the Nick Robes Podcast Network. My name is Connor McGrath. I'd like to send a welcome to uh, uh, welcome to you, the listener, to the very first episode of this podcast, and a thank you to our sponsors, Squarespace and Blue Chew. <laughs> and uh, welcome, uh, if you're here. So you you described what was going on uh, in the intro in the trailer. Episode. Yeah. So sure. I'll do a shortened version of that if you didn't listen to the trailer episode. Yeah. So let's rock more talk. Takes a look at uh, a week in rock history. Uh, from the years 1981 to 2012, um, I'm a lifelong fan of rock and roll music, and uh, I look at the charts for either the Billboard Mainstream Rock Charts or the Billboard Alternative Rock Charts from a random week in history from 1981 when the Billboard Mainstream Rock Charts started. Also, coincidentally, that was another big year in music history because MTV started not that long afterward, another pivotal moment, to 2012. And that was like the last year before uh, Spotify and Apple Music became big things and changed the face of music listening (laughs) as we know it. Uh, Now, this is specifically filtered through the Billboard charts, which is a pop thing. So it's based off of radio airplay. Radio airplay. So... Uh, the Billboard Mainstream Rock charts were introduced March twenty first, nineteen eighty one. That's the uh, that's the one we're looking back um, because album oriented rock stations, which were becoming which were a big thing back in the early seventies and eighties, mm-hmm. they played album tracks rather than the official singles. So the Billboard Pop charts. Sorry, that's getting into it. You're really interested <laughs> in it. Uh, the Billboard pop charts are just based on singles, whereas Album Rock Radio played album cuts. So the Billboard mainstream rock charts were meant to reflect album songs as well as singles. What was big being played on album-oriented rock s- stations? Interesting. Okay. Um, so a wider berth of what could be possible. Right, exactly. And right around this time, kind of like the Billboard charts were being more segregated like in the 60s and the, even in the 70s, it was kind of like a, a melting pot. Mm-hmm. Radio was kind of a melting pot. You could hear the Supremes and then Deep Purple, then uh, Roger Miller on the same station. Right. But then it but then it kind of became big. segregated into rock stations, pop stations. Motown. Motown, soul stations, yeah. Yeah, interesting. That sweet, sweet Detroit sound. That sweet, sweet Detroit sound and... Um, a couple months after this, on August 1st, 1981, for approximately four months after this, was the birth of MTV. And MTV was initially um, founded as an album-oriented rock video station. So they predominantly played rock music at first um, until about 83, 84. There was a backlash around the time Michael Jackson's Thriller came out. Uh, like mm-hmm. uh, Rick James and David Bowie were like, "Where are all the black people on MTV?" And <laughs> I they, love that the it MTV... takes David Bowie to, to be like, "Excuse me, no, too there's many, a, you too can, many white people over here." You can here. look, uh, you can look it up on YouTube. There's a clip of David Bowie talking to Mark, like Mark Goodman's interviewing David Bowie, and he was like, "Mark, may I please ask you a question? Like, why are there no black artists on MTV? Like, there's a lot of great black artists." And like Mark Goodman's trying to say, "Well, we're like an album-oriented rock." Station. And then he like David Bowie just rattles off some like black rock and roll artist, and Mark Goodman's like, <laughs> <laughs> but then when Michael Jackson released Thriller, that kind of like shattered the glass door, and he got Lionel Richie and yeah, okay. Michael Jackson kind of integrated. Well, so MTV. The story behind that is that they got Eddie Van Halen on. Yes, and that was the big, uh, which was also a strategy, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, because he wanted by... Michael Jackson uh, with Thriller. He wanted to appeal to as as wide of a berth as audiences. That's why there's so many different types of music. And uh, Beat It was a song that was meant to be played on rock radio, and actually, <laughs> unquote, white radio, right? White radio, yeah, right? And uh, he actually charted a couple of songs on the mainstream rock charts. I've looked into it. Beat it charted on the on the rock charts. I think Billy Jean did as well. Oh, interesting. Was that him or was that Quincy Jones? Do you know? If you don't, don't worry about it. Uh, I think it was kind of. I think. Uh, I think it was both of them. Mm. I think both of them were kind of both guys that wanted to appeal to as wide of an audience as possible. Interesting. And 
Michael Jackson's goal with Thriller was to sell as many records as possible. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, uh, and being a smart business, I mean, everybody's yeah. strategy is that. But also, but this was, was yeah. at an astronomical level. Yeah, yeah. Um, excellent. So we're here to talk about. Uh, week one of the Billboard charts. Be- week one of the Billboard Mainstream Rock charts. It's right. March 21st, 1981. I actually looked on uh, some newspapers on Google to see what was in the headlines that day. And uh, it's a Saturday. And it was the end of the Scarsdale Diet Murder Trials. That was on the front page. <laughs> Gene Harris convicted for the Scarsdale Diet Murders. I didn't read the articles, but uh, that's a famous... There's several television movies, I think, about the Scarsdale Diet Murders. Uh, a couple Lifetime movies. Well, a couple probably. Lifetime movies. Um, also, there were some militiamen arrested in Florida. Some guys training near a nuclear power plant great setting this yeah great place to be uh, arrested snl is on hiatus oh it's a that... saturday so yeah they had just fired gene dominion who had replaced norm Mike, uh, lauren michaels oh yeah so uh, they were... that was when uh he wrote uh uh whatchamacallit um three amigos with steve martin yep, and randy those... newman yep so lauren michaels this was in his uh Excuse me, his hiatus years. Huh. What's more rock and roll than flatulence? You know. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's the scene. It's early 1981. It's still kind of like the hangover from the 70s. The 80s hasn't really quite found its voice yet. Uh, kind of like a Ronald Reagan recently inaugurated as president. <clears throat> Just setting a scene. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of, kind of like a... Kind of like a mauve, if I could describe the pop culture of the early 80s. Kind of like a mauve or like a kind of... Well, they always... I mean, they. I don't know who they is. But they always say that, you know, this kind of decade... This decade fetishism that you hear about, it's usually transplanted about five years from the actual decade. So, you know... Uh, the 60s, quote-unquote, didn't start until about 65. What well, when JFK, about... the consent, common, like a lot of people say, it started when JFK got shot. Right. That's when like, the idealization of the 50s had ended, and then yeah, and then the shit hit the fan. And, and Summer of Love uh, and yep. hippies and all that kind of shit. The Beatles and coming to America. That stuff leaks over into the 70s, yep. and then the 70s, 70s big kind of bleed over disco and all that kind of stuff. This is kind of the 70s bleed-over period of the 80s, okay. for sure. All right. Um, now, do we do a countdown or uh, we could do a casey Kasem type countdown (laughs) if you want me if you want to send in long distance dedications whether we have children or don't (laughs) now here's a long distance dedication from deborah Uh, yeah, how do you want to structure this? I we mean, can, yeah, let's just, do, we can we do a sort of, 10, a, we're doing, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna do a top 10 countdown, okay. but I'll, I'll, um, I'll look, uh, towards the bottom reaches of the chart. So the very first song ever. We're starting with on, some honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, we'll start with some honorable mentions. Very first song ever on the Billboard mainstream rock charts is a song by a band that'll probably show up. On almost every episode we do from like 1982, 84, 85 is Toto. All right. And a song called Live For Today. We'll hear a bit. I listened to it before the song, but I can't remember a thing about it. It's uh, Live For Today by Toto. Uh, oh, wow. Does not, does not come up... Uh, Toto. Uh, here we go. And so. Steve Lukather, guitar player from Toto. Uh, not probably at this point since this is early enough, but uh, John Williams' son is uh, the lead singer. Of yes, Toto. this is still the. Uh, original iteration of Toto. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the rock side of Toto. As much as Toto rocks. Yeah, I mean, this this sounds like John Cougar Mellencamp. Yeah. Which, like, this is fine. Yeah. I understand why it's at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that it made it on there at all is a little interesting. Yeah. Oh, is, do we have a chorus? Or is this pre-chorus? All right. 
There you go. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a standard rock yeah. song. Fine. Toto's kind of like kind of a kind of like stereotypical band of like what was sort of popular in 1981. They were a band made up of longtime studio musicians that like kind of formed together like we kind of want we want the spotlight, but they were also sort of faceless musicians. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I think of like the the big hit Africa, I think of like a uh, uh, prog rock light almost. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, it's yeah, it's not ELO, but like it's ELO adjacent yeah. almost. Sort of, yeah. Just very workmanlike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, I mean, that just sounded like uh, uh, grassroots, uh, you know, homegrown, cock-rocky. Yeah. Which is interesting. I mean, you know, a little bit, uh, a couple of things that I wouldn't see on a Mellencamp track, you know, fade right. on the guitar and shit. But. Yeah, because Steve Lukather is kind of like, he's one of the great guitar players of his era and uh they're a very yeah very you know professional workman like kind of virtue like a band of virtuosos really yeah um but also kind of faceless music that was kind of the big knock on them yeah and uh not a lot of personality no it's fine no still good stuff yeah if it was on at a party i wouldn't say change it uh, so that was our honorable mention. That was our honorable mention. We'll go through a little bit more honorable mentions. Yep. Um, let's see. We got so the big, so kind of like the big gist of the charts is like there's a lot of song, like these kind of bands similar to Toto that these workman likes kind of rock music lifers. Um, Styx has like three or four songs on the chart, three it, or four. Yeah, wow. Styx okay. has you know. They've got Snowblind, uh, mm-hmm. the only song called Snowblind that's not about cocaine yeah. at number 34, and they got Too Much Time on My Hands at number 28, and they've got uh, they got uh, we'll get, uh, The Best of Times in 16, and they got a song in the top 10. I won't spoil that. <laughs> we'll get to the top 10. Ario Speedwagon has at least three or four songs. April Wine, surprisingly. Ario Speedwagon has three or four. Ario Speedwagon on this week in uh, Mar- on not the uh, March twenty first, nineteen eighty one, the inaugural edition. They have. Um, I only know two Ario Speedwagon songs, and they sound one, exactly the same. <laughs> two, three, four songs in the top. Are 40. any of these four the two that I know? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I would say two Great. of them. Are the ones that you know. Yeah. Two of them. So Ario Speedwagon, we'll get into it a little bit later, but they had the big rock album of the moment in 1981. Probably the big, the big eight album in 81 was an Ario Speedwagon album wagon album. And I'm assuming one of the the one of those two is in the top ten. Yes. Okay, well, great. all the songs, all four songs are off the same uh, high infidelity, which is their yeah, uh, yeah. their big their big record. Which seems like a weird title for uh, one of the songs. But anyways. It's uh, not, well, it's off the album High Infidelity. There wasn't yeah, a song yeah. called High Infidelity, unfortunately. Well, right. But to, to have that al- album title and, spoiler alert, to have the chorus, I'm going to keep on loving you. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like an antithesis. I th- well, you know, I think Ario Speedwagon, what made them so big is this the early 80s is a time when, you know, divorce rates are skyrocketing. And I think it Ario becomes Be- acceptable. Yeah. And Ario Speedwagon's songs, I think, appeal mostly to divorced moms. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. All right. I went to an Ario Speedwagon concert and uh, you know what? I didn't look around that that much, but I guess, yeah. Uh, so we do we have some more honorable mentions? Honorable mentions. Okay. Um, uh, April Wine has three songs in the top forty. Great. Canadian rockers April Wine. This is probably the peak of their relevance. See, they have one at uh, thirty nine, thirty two, and twenty seven. Let me see if this shows up. April Wine. They do show up. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, give Give me one song name so that way. I just got to hear this. I like I like uh, all over towns. My favorite. I used to do shows at a bar in Old Orchard Beach, and the like owner of the bar would like play this song. He's like, "Yeah, you like April Wine." I'm like, "I don't, I don't know." And he would like sing along. 1981. Okay, all over town. It's it's a pretty cool like 80s cock rock song. Okay. (laughs) 
I see like Russia's sleazier cousins. Yeah, or uh, scorpions. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that. Um... There was like a there was like a vocal effect yes. in the in the 80s, especially where you would you would double the vocals, but you would put them out of phase, yeah. and it would have this. It was like similar to like chorus say. Yeah. That's how the vocals would go. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's a cool song. It's probably my second favorite song on this countdown. I think I'll talk about my number one favorite song, which is also out of the top ten. It's not is so both of your favorite songs aren't in the Aren't in the top ten. But this is actually like This is a pretty I would say this is a pretty solid list. There's a lot of songs that are like still played on classic rock radio. Maybe the maybe the end segment of the podcast is you do your top five of that week. I think that's a good idea. Do you think you could do that? I could Connor's do that. top five. I could five? probably yeah, I could probably do it. Right. Uh, could probably figure it out. Um uh, but okay, so some more honorable mentions or some more yeah. honorable mentions. Um, it's just a very eclectic list, like kind of like the 70s and the 80s are kind of bleeding together, and you got some Southern Rocks, the Outlaws Ghost Riders cover of Ghost Riders in the Sky. Oh, yeah. Phil Collins's uh, I Missed Again from his uh, first album. Okay. With uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire's horns around that song. That's Well, yeah, they were all over a lot of his stuff, all, right? All of those first, uh, yeah, his first few. They were also in Graceland? Sue Studio. Yeah, Sue Studio. Yep. Okay. Everybody was on Graceland. I don't know. I can't remember if the the Phoenix Horns is their name, the, mm. the Earth, Wind, and Fire's horn section. Great. Um, Blondie's Rapture, the first rap rock song. That's on the list at number four, uh, 35. Great. But probably my favorite song uh, coming up on this list is in at number 24. And it's from the other big rock album of this area, era, but it was... Uh, Released at the end of 1980, it was The Clash's Sandinista. <laughs> the song is Police on My Back. It's a cover of a song by the Easy Beats, which is a British band fronted by Eddie Grant, who uh, would go on a couple years after 1981 electric. to do Electric Avenue. <laughs> electric Avenue, yeah. yeah. But back in the 60s, he was in a band called, uh, not the Easy Beats, that was uh, the ACDC's brother's band. I think it was The Equals? Because it was, an, yeah, I think it was the Equals is the name of Eddie Grant's. Okay, here's a little bit of uh, Police on My Back. Yeah. But this is the best. The, the spoiler alert, this will be number one. For you. For me, yeah. yeah. On this. Yeah. When I was a uh, when I was in uh, music school, well, I was in school for music. Uh, I found this uh, collection, and it was like punk. Yeah, it was like a punk collection. It was in the yeah. music library, which you know, typically in your music library at your average school, you're finding like you know classical music Bobby McFerrin and Yo-Yo Ma's collaborative album yeah right stuff like that but there was this punk collection I remember like going through it and you know there was the clash and uh uh oh my god uh uh and the Banshees Sue Susie and the Banshees Susie and the Banshees and like all this stuff that like I was not getting into at the time then all of a sudden i was like this stuff is great and the clash was part of that yeah so sandinista was a release from the clash from the end of 1980 so the success is kind of bleeding i think it's from december or november 1980 it's kind of bleeding over into 1981 um Mm -hmm. very ambitious album i think the first maybe triple rock album really yeah it's a triple it's a three lp album about one and a half to two of them are good. There's a lot of weird <laughs> stuff on Sandinista. Were they experimental? Yeah. I mean, okay. this especially around this period, they were kind of experimenting with hip-hop and uh, reggae. And they were just expanding beyond the, the, the reaches of punk music. Punk mm-hmm. music was pretty, like, the initial punk wave was long dead by 1981. And even New Wave, I think, was kind of like 
on its way out, kind of forming into like new romantic would start in 82, 83. So their clash is kind of like. What's Durand? Durand, Durand. Durand, Durand. Durand, Durand. I would say that's new romantic, which is kind of okay. like an offshoot of new wave. Like the bands like Duran uh, Duran and Spandau Ballet and mm-hmm. ABC, all those guys, they, are, they I would say are in the new romantic category. Okay. Right on. Uh, good song, though. It was a great song, but yeah, it was a triple album. It was very, very uh, ambitious, expensive, costly album, and uh, it was kind of the clash felt that a lot of people in the music industry felt that uh, Epic Records, which was a label, wasn't like putting enough focus on promoting Sandinista. They were putting their focus on promoting Ario Speedwagon's High Infidelity, which is also <laughs> on Epic Records. <laughs> so they kind of pushed Sandinista inside, aside for... Ario Speedwagon High Infidelity. Wait, but the Clash is British. Is yep. Ario Speedwagon British? No, they're American, but they're okay. on the same record label. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, and there was uh, allegedly some greasing of the palms to get High Infidelity uh, played on the radio so much. I uh, I remember when I saw Ario Speedwagon. Uh, there was a lot of the the thing that I hate uh, at concerts, which is. Um, uh, you know, w- one time we were in Sweden, and uh, I just remember uh, driving through the beautiful countryside, and our song came on the radio, and uh, just sing along if you know it. And I was just like, oh, screw you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and at the time, I was working at the concert venue, and I had to drive around the opening act, which was Creedence Clearwater Revisited, Revisited. featuring Elliot Easton from The Cars. Maybe. He was in the band at one point. Playing guitar. So maybe Elliot Easton was the one who said, because uh, it was the guitar player who said, uh, oh, what, Ario Spitwagon's on this show? <laughs> Which I thought was such a funny line. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, okay. So, um, and let's do one more bonus track. Another bonus track was uh, I was actually able to find the UK rock charts. I guess the UK had a rock chart before the States did. Oh, interesting. So the number one UK rock chart was uh, Roxy Music, British Art Rocks Rockers cover of John Lennon's Jealous Guy. So it's just less than four months after John Lennon's unfortunate demise. So Mark Chapman? Mark David Chapman. Mark David Chapman. Okay. Uh, right on. So, huh. Yeah. Uh, so those are our honorable mentions. Those are our honorable mentions. Great. Uh, so now we head into... Do we do sequential? We go top Let's 10. Let's go 10 to 1. All right. We're 10 doing 10 to, 10 to 1. Number 10. Coming in at number 10, we talked about April Wine earlier, mm-hmm. a great Canadian rock band, but probably just at the point, this is a, kind of the point where they were kind of emerging as the top dog in Canadian rock, mm. the number one Canadian rock band, Rush, with perhaps their most iconic track, Tom Sawyer coming in at number 10 on the inaugural Billboard Mainstream Rock Charts. All right. All right. I mean... Yeah, I, uh, I'm i not a huge Rush fan, but of the Rush tracks, that's obviously one that I know. The The one that I love is Limelight. Which, actually, I don't want to spoil it, but we might. We, that might make an appearance? I that get it. That might make an appearance. I get it. Uh, I don't know if we want to play two Rush songs. Well, we'll get it. Well, we'll hear a little bit of Tom Sawyer, because this yeah. one's obvious. You know, you get that, like, And I think I associate Rush with kind of, like, early video games. <laughs> I just imagine like Got a Atari games bitty. playing in my head, yeah. yeah. And it, there was a Rush video for Subdivisions, which is not on this song, but like part of the video is the it's like some nerdy Canadian teenager playing like uh, Space Invaders or something. I remember uh, there was a documentary for about Lord of the Rings fans, and. Uh, for some odd reason, they interviewed uh, Lemmy. I don't know why, because Lemmy never wrote anything about Lord of the Rings. But they were talking about rock bands in Lord of the Rings, and Rush was a, was one of them. It was like Rush and what's that? Yeah. Name? And um, Lemmy says, I don't know why people got into it. Uh, it was a lot of uh, he's a slur against gay people. Sorry. Uh, but he's like, I don't know why people talk about love facts with high voices. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Canadian prog rockers Rush. Rush. Right. I think it's off Moving Pictures was the name that the album that was on, and the other. That's song. the big Rush. That's album. the big Rush album. I would say probably 1981 is the peak 
of Russia's relevance. It's a peak of a lot of these bands' relevancy because this is kind of a, a peak of like corporate kind of faceless arena rock. And, and once a lot of these bands started making music videos, people were like, ugh. Well, oh, yeah, being able to see them. I mean, it's almost uh, Nixon versus Kennedy. Yeah. People saw Nixon and they were like, oh, this guy's fugly. Let's not. Yeah. Uh, in addition, I mean, the 80s and television and you're talking about, you know, specialized radio stations. The idea that now people are able to watch more, you know, uh, one of the things I always talk about, uh, for some odd reason, anybody who's ever talked to me, uh, I'm at parties just constantly telling people, one of the most highly watched episodes of television of all time is the MASH series finale, and it's because there were three channels to watch, and that yeah. was the only thing to watch. Now, this is probably the beginning of diversification in right, music. Right, exactly. Cable TV. Yeah, and, and more uh, radio More stations, radio stations. AM and FM. And, right. You know? People are buying radio places. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So that was number that was number 10. ten. And number nine is a band that we've talked a lot about, and this is their biggest hit. And okay. that's the tar- top of the charts. It's Aria Speedwagons, Keep On Loving You. Yes. I mean, uh God, is there anything to say? I, I, I think this is the superior hit, even though the other one plays more. Yeah, I would say this is the this is kind of the the classic REO Speedwagon song. This is their... Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, Can't Fight This Feeling, I feel yeah, like, shows up more. That's a little bit... Um, more played, maybe. That's a, And it's a little more calculated, whereas this is kind of more... It's, you know, it's sap, but it's also kind of felt more organic sap. Whereas, <laughs> like, keep on, uh, uh, Can't Fight This Feeling is kind of synthetic sap. Yeah. It's crazy that the, that the two big hits from this band were, like, ridiculous, like... I mean, uh, are these monster ballads or buzz ballads? These are power ballads. ballads. Power ballads. But I mean, this is on, you know, the preview channel. Yeah. At two in the morning, you're seeing an infomercial, and this song is featured huge. Yeah. You know? We gotta make it at least to the chorus, right? Mm hmm. Here it comes. You can sing along if you want. You and the audience. That not oh kissing. no, they fake you out. About those men. See, I don't remember. Cause it was us way before then. Just really quickly before we get to the chorus, my and favorite we'll is in Crank 2 when this plays. It's one of the greatest moments. Magnifique. <laughs> and when they're just killing everybody in the strip club. When I said that I love you, I meant that I love you forever. Cause I'm gonna keep on loving you. Cause it's the only thing I wanna do. I don't wanna sleep. I just wanna keep on loving you. Were they a band that want? Uh, that's insane that they don't reach the chorus until about a minute twenty-five into the song, and it's only a three-minute song. They don't reach the chorus until almost half. But then the, the like half the other half of the song is the chorus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just repeat just the song. Repeating. I think there might be like one more short verse, and guitar then they do the solo or uh, yeah. There's a guitar solo. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know and they were like a journeyman rock group. Kevin Cronin was actually like their third or fourth lead singer they have like kind of a checkered history it took them a long time to reach this high on the on the pop chart they were kind of like one of those you know long term overnight sensations like they were just a journeyman rock group throughout the 70s but then Mm. this album high infidelity was very calculated they did a lot of power ballads they kind of really kind of played to what was big on rock radio in 1980 81 and it paid off for them and that was had they had the album of their career it paid off for them. It paid off for them. <laughs> Just yeah, it's a lot of their uh, their seventies stuff is kind of like very Heartland rock. They have some politicized songs, even um, uh, uh, Heartland rock, uh, like like Southern rock, or like Skinner style, not like or Skinner like... style. Like there's like a kind of a subgenre of like I would say like Heart Midwestern rock, kind of like uh, Ario Speedwagon, Sticks, 
Journey. Sticks. Okay. Uh, Marshall Tucker Band. Marshall Tucker Band is, is more, more Southern. Okay. Yeah, I would say they're more Southern. Um, yeah, but growing up in New Hampshire, there were two bands who would come to the Kansas. Were... Kansas is a, another ultimate like heartland rock. Right. Bands you... from the Midwest. Bands okay. that Midwestern people can relate to. I'd say the late Eddie, Eddie Money also is kind of a heartland rocker, even though he's from New York Ooh. City. God, two tickets to paradise. Yeah, I hope that shows up at some point. All right, uh, number eight. Number eight, another band we just talked about, another Heartland rock band, another band that had one of the biggest rock albums of this area. Uh, Sticks, who we okay. just mentioned, have the song "Rock in the Paradise." Um, this is from uh, there. I think what was the name of the album that was? This is I think it's the something Paradise. I should have researched this better because I was going to plan on talking about it. But it's a big, uh, it's the kind of a concept album where it's about the theater, the paradise, and it's kind of a metaphor. Dennis DeYoung wrote, uh, the singer and songwriter for Styx, wrote a metaphor for uh, America in 1981. It was this ornate, glamorous theater. Mm -hmm. And uh, the album cover is the the theater, presumably. It was at the Paradise or Return to pa- No Return to Paradise was like the sequel. I think they made a There's sequel. Paradise the Theater. Paradise Theater. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So this is towards the, the beginning of the that concept album, Rockin' the Paradise. Yeah. So this is one of the rockier side of Sticks, but also like Sticks version of rock. I mean, yeah, very sound, theatrical. You know, Renegade or yeah, you know. It's a band of people that like dress up like magicians. They all, if you watch a Sticks <laughs> video, they're all dressed up like different kinds of magicians, <laughs> like seventies magicians. <laughs> but also prog rocky. Yeah, proggy because they started off as a prog rock band. They, yeah, they also had a long period where they before they became huge chart hits. It's interesting because, uh, so like, I'm a huge theme park fan. I love theme parks, and uh, uh, Universal for a long time had a Beetlejuice show where Beetlejuice would do, would host this show where he would come out and he'd be the master of ceremonies, but the Wolfman and Dracula and everybody would sing pop hits from the past, you know, sixty years. It was and this. it would all sound like this, even though they were singing, you know, whatever rocket. It would sound like this. Mm. Again, taking a long time to get to the chorus. Yeah. So they're kind of that's kind of like once again a three minute song. Yeah. Kind of, they're showing their prog rock pass, even though they're doing three minute songs. Yeah. But it's interesting. It really does create a dynamic. This is the... Here we go. This was the 10th music video to air on MTV in its opening day. Great. With the piano. There's almost like a uh, an element of like Tim Pan Alley to this. A little as bit, well. yeah, though, with the piano playing. The piano and also the chord changes. You know, there's a little bit of like, oh, we're you know modulating yeah. up, like you know. A yeah, I think Dennis DeYoung's huge into that. He's kind of like a guy that's yeah, a little bit Tin Pan Alley at heart. Yeah, right. I mean, Cole Portery. Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of that. And uh, another interesting thing worth pointing out in 1981. Sticks um, replaced Kiss as uh, Children in America's favorite band. There was like a poll that they polled children. Children like, in America. Children in America. I was reading this. Like they poll kids in America. Um, Can you and- imagine being a, a, a parent uh, in 19 whatever 79 and it's like uh hi little girl what's your favorite band and she's like kiss yeah <laughs> so kiss was the favorite band kiss replaced led zeppelin who replaced the beatles and then okay. uh sticks replaced kiss so at this point in 1981 it's weird to think now of like little kids really liking sticks but 
Because I imagine Sticks hasn't had the staying power. No. You say Sticks now, people know Mr. Roboto, but I don't yeah. think anyone... Come say a few songs, yeah. Like come come say I don't think even would come to mind. Yeah, Renegade is the one that always comes oh, yeah, to my yeah. mind, but I don't think people would think about that. Yeah, they. Th- it's like yeah, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's just they were a very safe band. I think people mm. after Kiss, pe- maybe parents were like, Sticks is kind of similar. They they don't wear capes or makeup, but they dress up like magicians. They dress up. They're like kind of fun. They have songs. Yeah. They have concept albums. But it also, it's not uh, all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. No. Supposedly, you know. No, it's a very kind of like, uh, they they explore other avenues, like decaying, ornate theaters, like a Paradise <laughs> Theater, you know? It was yeah. a beautiful theater back in the 40s and 50s, then the 70s came. Well, they rocked the Paradise. They rocked the Paradise. This was uh, early in the album. So number seven. Number seven on the charts. Again, Rush with their second song on the top Jesus. ten. Limelight, which you mentioned before, is which, your favorite. Yeah, yeah that's, that's uh, my. That's that's in my top two or three for sure, yeah. I got to say, like, this, this song, it's, it, this to me is, like, short of going straight up, uh, uh, yes. Like, mm-hmm. this is, like, the prog rock song where I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah. Because I just feel like it's rock enough. You know, like that's that's a dope intro, but it's also like I mean, you can't get more cock rock. But also that immediately kind of it kind of messes with the time a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to be too hyperbolic, but it almost kind of looks ahead to bands of, uh, you know, sort of pop punk. Yeah. You know, uh, like bands like Motion City Soundtrack and stuff like that. Like Coheed and Cambria a little bit. Yeah, where they start playing with time a lot more, and it's like, well, we're we're doing this within this given genre, but we're also messing with the punk. Yeah. It's got a great early MTV music video where it's not really a music video where like it's just like Rush recording this song at a studio in like the Canadian woods in winter. There's I think that it opens with like a shot of a wolf outside of the recording studio like oh, perfect. scurrying away. Much like uh, uh, a song that I'm assuming will show up at some point. Uh, What's the uh, the police song? Isn't it every little thing she does yes. magic when they're in the studio? Yeah, and it's like, look, they're friends. Yeah, <laughs> they're like hitting each other. Yeah, in the video, chasing each other. <laughs> uh, please show up at. Uh, they were at number eleven on this list. Uh, All right, spoiler alert. Yeah, that's but we, well, we number eleven. They were just missed the top ten with Ooh. "Don't Stand So Close to Me." Oh no shit! Okay. Yeah, and our, uh, yeah. an ode to uh, statutory. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, uh, also, uh, oh, I don't think it's. I think it's kind of a neutral take. It's uh, it's a it's an an observer an observer's perspective. perspective. Yeah, I don't not, think it's, it's pro. pro or, it's not pro yeah. statutory rape like kisses Christine sixteen <laughs> or any song from the sixties. It yeah. seems like she's sixteen. She's beautiful. beautiful she's, she's mine. <laughs> Very problematic. Uh, number six. Number six. Again, Canada's huge on the chart. They probably make up a third of this chart. This is the uh, first hit from Loverboy. Oof. Turn Me Loose. I got to say, I only know one Loverboy song. Oh, well, they uh, they had a couple of big rock hits. Well, well this is not the last, uh, I assure you, we'll hear from Loverboy in the uh, show. So, got... so Loverboy opened up for Toto when I saw them. Meadowbrook Farms. Yeah, at Meadowbrook. Bank of New Hampshire Pavilion. Now, yeah. This has a very long intro, like an instrument, can, a big instrumental part. We can skip this. Oh yeah, I mean this is almost. Yeah, this is still played on classic rock radio. Yeah, I've heard. It, it doesn't like sound like it's a face again. It's a song like it could be any band. You could think this is Toto or Journey or something. Yeah, it's on or <laughs> Ram Jam. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Foreigner. For sure. Yes. Mike Reno, the front man for uh, Loverboy. The synth player, I feel like, uh, was an addition. 
Because the synth player gets a lot of play. Like, yeah. he does a lot of stuff, but it's never flashy. Like, yeah. he's never taken a solo. You no. know what I'm saying? It might even be, like, the producer or something. I don't know. Yeah. I'll have to look into Loverboy. All you Loverboy fans listen to this episode in a range. I mean, it's crazy to think that, like, I always thought of, I always thought of that song. I, I was like, is this a weird, like... I didn't actually think this, but in the back of my head, it was like, oh, this is like a David Lee Roth solo album or something. You know, like it was like yeah. a, a, a... Right, a, it could be any number of different bands. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, uh, well, so that one's not super interesting, but number five. Number five? We're getting into the top We're five We're getting into now. the top five. So number five is uh, certainly a band we can't accuse of being f- uh, faceless. A very iconic Rock and Roll Hall of Fame group. Uh, the Who... Ooh! With You Better You Bet off of their first post-Keith Moon album. Um, when did Keith Moon die? Keith Moon died in 1978, mm. 79. For a classic rock podcast, I should be better with dates, but... I don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, okay, so You Better You Bet. So now, let's see here. It's their first album with Kenny Jones replacing... Keith Moon, and that was a little pun when I said it was not a faceless band because Kenny Jones was originally the drummer for the Faces. <laughs> I mean, this this yeah. is not the top tier of Who songs, but I enjoyed it when I was like getting into classic rock radio. I think this was probably the Who song that I liked the most because it was like the kind of the more esoteric concept rock stuff was a little bit above my head and then stuff like squeeze box was like a little dumb even for me as a 12 year old so you better get that's a good middle ground yeah just a good kind of you know good song about being verbally abused by your spouse and i like this yeah it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like the who that you know because you don't hear like no. You know, which I feel like is such an iconic yeah, part of they, listening to that part of the Who. But I don't think it's a bad song. No, it's a good song. They definitely lost a little bit something with Keith Moon's passing. I think he was kind of the heart and soul of the band. But they still, you know, still this is still pretty. This is still a pretty good rock and roll song. They lost an idiosyncrasy yeah. to yeah. it. But you still have that intro synth. Yeah. You know, and the the... Yeah, I Roger Daltrey is a great vocalist. Yeah. Keith, Keith, uh, Pete Townsend's like harmony vocals. Exactly. Yeah, it's still got enough of the Who where it's like, yeah, and then it's kind of, it's this is kind of like the Who updating their sound for 1981. Yeah, this is as yeah, different like, as Van Hagar. No. You know? And I like the way that uh, Roger Daltrey says, I look pretty crappy sometimes in this song. <laughs> like, for some reason, sometimes, like, I'm, it's just something I randomly think of. Ooh, sometimes wait. when I'm out. He had a, he had a vocalizer. Some of the lyrics in the song are pretty just funny in the way Roger Daltrey interprets them. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. a great song. It's a good, very good song. Uh, so this brings us to the top number four. four. Tough, number four. Oof. This is the Southern Rock representation of the chart, but it's kind of an interesting Southern Rock band. Yeah, it's not going to be what I'm thinking of. 38, 38 special? special. No shit. With okay. Hold On Loosely. Now, 38 Special is an interesting case because I think they're counted. I mean, they are a Southern rock band, but I feel like they take a lot of elements from the band, like Styx and uh, Ario Speedwagon, and even bands a little bit like uh, the New Wave bands, like the Cars. Like, they don't okay. feel too Southern. They definitely take some elements of power pop and a little bit of New Wave. Okay, uh, I I I have like, to say I've probably seen them at least twice, and I'm not that familiar with no, them. <laughs> but this is, I would say, it's their second biggest hit. Oh yeah, yeah. cars. Well, yeah, yeah. And I think this is probably the band that most unnecessarily had two drummers. They have two drummers in the 38 Special. There's really no reason for the 38 Special to have two drummers. They probably were just... Other than the novelty. Novelty. Like, they, like, it was like, well, you know, like, the Almond Brothers... Like, we're from the South. The Almond Brothers have two drummers. Like, why don't we have two drummers? But it's... This music doesn't really require... 
They're like, I would say like 38 Special is like, they're Southern Rock, but they're like the suburbs of Atlanta Southern Rock. Like, yeah. So they're kind of Southern, but it's like not really like down in the swamps. They're just hanging out in the outfield at a Braves game Southern. Here's another thing that <laughs> sounds very 80s to me yeah. about this versus like Skinner. Uh, so like uh, 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 the cars and stuff, the vocals sound very far back. Yeah. Whereas I feel like Skinner, like they're up front. Yeah. He like, uh, uh, who was the original? Uh, Ronnie Van. Ronnie. Okay. And I was gonna say Johnny, and then I was like, nope. Who's the brother? Uh, Donnie Van Sant's the guitarist for Thirty Eight Special. He wasn't oh, the singer, but he was. Okay. He played guitar in Thirty Eight okay. Special. But uh, Ronnie sounds very up front. Yeah. Like when you listen to like, you know, uh, 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 you know, give me three steps or something, yeah. and he's like, you know. He's right there, whereas this sounds further back. Yeah. This sounds more like the Cars, you know? Yeah. Or it's, or yeah you're like, kind of like yeah. the Cars mash with Leonard Skinner. And- yeah. A little bit of Edgar Winter Group. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Another another classic rock, like kind of like still a staple to this day on classic rock radio. Another very good song. I might make my top five at the end. Ooh. Uh, uh, teasing just a little bit. Uh, number three. Number three is kind of a song that you don't hear. It's a band you hear a lot on classic rock radio these days. But not, but song not this or... song. Hmm. Not this song is a song that's kind of fallen out of the regular rotation. It's a song by Journey. Ooh. It's a studio track off of a live album. So okay. it's like, you know how like sometimes during live albums, they have like a, a studio track at the end. This is yeah. the case. So like Journey recorded a live album. And uh, this is like, they tacked this song at the end. It's called The Party's Over, parentheses, Hopelessly in Love. Um, this is right before their big breakout hit, Escape. That would come out later in 1981. Um, hmm. Their journey was still a big band, but like they're kind of like their huge album, Escape, would come out later in 81. This is like is from the live. the one that has. Don't Stop yeah, Believing. Yeah, okay. And, uh... okay. So The Party's Over, Hopelessly in Love. Yeah. Mm, am I playing this one? This is not a live version. I don't think this is a live version. Oh, no, that's a live version. No, this it's on live the live version. album, though, so that's probably... It's, like, tacked on the end. But it's oh. a studio song. Okay. It's kind of interesting because they were in between... So this is before Escape, so they were in between Greg Raleigh, who was their original keyboard player, who was from Santana, and Jonathan Kane, who was the guy who helped write Don't Stop Believing. Okay. So they used... I can't remember. I had the guy's name, but uh, another guy, like a one-off keyboard player... It's interesting, yeah. But this is kind of like starting, because Journey was more of an album rock band, uh, especially before Steve Perry, and there are three or four albums they did before Steve Perry, but they were still kind of like more album rocky, but then with Escape, that was their kind of like breakthrough through the pop world, so this is kind of starting more poppy. This is Steve Perry. Yeah, this is Steve Perry, yeah. Who's the original lead singer? Uh, Greg Raleigh say they didn't really have a front man before. Okay. Like, like they would Toto. take turns. Yeah, sort of yeah, like yeah. Toto. They would take turns singing okay. songs before Steve Perry joined. I mean, this is a this is a generic generic, 80s. and it's kind of like there's two different songs. Like Neil Sean's just kind of like shredding in the background. Like it doesn't really seem related to the rest of the song. Yeah. But yeah, there's a legit piano yeah. track. Also, yeah, there is like just a piano player. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. That's amazing that it's so high. Captured is the name of the live album. That's mm, okay. So they had escape, ca- you know, captured, and then escape. So kind of like they all kind of like keep on loving you was number nine, and that was, was number, number three. three. Yep. That's kind of crazy to me. Just the staying power. Uh, number two. Number two. Um, number two. Uh, coming in at number two, uh, another stalwart of the 60s who would find a second life in the 80s, more particularly later in the 80s. Hmm. Um, Stevie Winwood, hmm. Steve Winwood at this point. Sure. He wasn't Stevie anymore. He was in his 30s. Um, while you see a chance. While you see a chance. is the number two song, so. Uh, I don't know how familiar I am with Steve Winwood back. <laughs> He has a very uh, kind of diverse career. Started off with the Spencer Davis group as a 16-year-old. Okay. Then he joined Traffic and Blind Faith and uh, was a big 
rocker. And at this point, he's kind of experimenting more with synthesizers. Mm. Uh, I will say that uh, it does not come up immediately when you look for it. Uh, Oh, or at all. At all. You don't have it. Well, maybe. uh, Steve would when you see... While you see a chance. Wow. Well, here we go. Boom. This is another song with a long intro. Mm-hmm. I think we can skip into it a little bit. Definitely getting. I mean, this is Mike Oldfield. Yeah. This is. Uh... Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I know this yeah. one. Yeah. This is a good one. Mm. I've heard this one a million yeah. times. Yeah. This is like uh this is like a poor man's alba. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. It's also crazy that I think like all of the songs coming up to this have been like three minutes. Yeah. This is like six minutes. Yeah. Because he's from kind of like the sixties. He's like a sixties, seventies guy. He's like, yeah, I don't care if the song's six minutes long. Jamming. Whereas I'm like jamming. these other bands are kind of going back into the pre- pre-album rock area where it's like we want singles yeah right yeah yeah and i mean you know uh there's that clip of uh frank sinatra uh recording uh which one is it uh when i was 17 he's recording that song and it finishes and he says how long was that and the tech comes on and goes uh he says like 412 and he goes 412 it's longer than the first act of hamlet <laughs> <laughs> you know uh and it's interesting that, like, you know, then that turned around yeah. to be like, I feel like Stevie Winwood, if, if Steve Winwood, if we're making uh, like a list of like top 60s rock stars that adapted to the, to the 80s, he would be in the top 10 for sure. I'm just like, he kind of like, he, I don't know, for whatever reason, he's like, yeah, all right, synthesizers, linen jackets. Okay, all right. This is so close to disco. Yeah. It's not disco. No. There's no four on the floor. Like, yeah. You know, but it's so close to disco. Uh, But damn good song. Yeah. Jesus, that's that's great. That's number two. The number one song, the very first top mainstream rock song. <laughs> it topped the charts for two weeks, so it was the top song for the first and second week. But spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! I don't. Uh, we'll do the second week sometime <laughs> next week. <laughs> Chronological, yeah, right? No, no, we won't. We aren't going to do that. We're going to pick another. Or I'll tell you. At, I'll tell you at the end what we're going to do next week. Um, but but coming in at, at number, number one. <laughs> Eric Clapton and his band. It's a fi- it's it's uh listed under Eric Clapton and his band. Seriously? Yes. Okay. On the charts. I don't know like his band his band was like, "Hey, you know, Eric, you don't give us some credit." Hmm. Like I like Eric Clapton and his band with I can't stand it. Seriously? All right. Okay. That was the number one song. <sighs> right. Think off the album Money and Cigarettes. Fine. Yeah, that's what I thought about this song. It's just very third or fourth tier Clapton. Yeah, no one would ever think of this song. It's crazy. Yeah. Once again, Keep On Loving You was number nine. Tom Sawyer was number 10. Yep. That's nuts to me. The Who's but above the Who, yeah. The hold on loosely, like all these iconic songs. Yeah. Just Eric Clapton, kind of going through the motions. He was recent to sobriety at this point. Okay, Sun hadn't died yet. Sun hadn't died yet, yeah. but I think he hadn't really kind of found his way into the '80s yet. So it's just kind of yeah. Feels this song very much feels like Eric Clapton kind of go, going through the motions. Yeah, this isn't like bluesy enough to be yeah. bluesy. It's not rocky enough to be rocky. Yeah. It's so middle of the road. But I think that people after the tumultuous seventies and sixties, people like middle of the road, like back, yeah. kind of like. Yeah, people are getting into going to Sizzler. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. 
Yeah. Applebee's uh, is becoming a thing. Yeah, right, exactly. This is like a sign, like, you know, I'm you're just playing in the background while you're eating steak fajitas <laughs> at a chain restaurant. <laughs> Americana. This actually, I, when I was reading up on this song, this is uh, the song is speaking of middle of America chain restaurant bullshit. Uh, the song is frequently used as uh, bumper music on Sean Hannity's radio show, which is like that makes sense. <laughs> okay, uh, enough of this. This is fun. We we we, uh, we we get the song. <laughs> we get it. We get it. Yeah, it's okay. Um, uh, no shade to Eric Clapton, you know, wrote some great songs. Fine. Fine. That's not one of his better ones. I don't like, I don't no. like, I'm not a hater. I think he's kind of a dick personally. I've never heard any stories, but I uh, wouldn't surprise me. Well, I mean, he stole George Harrison's wife blatantly. Sure. Sure. Um, and then George Harrison died of cancer. Openly fascist. Really? Yeah. Kind of like he would like supported a lot of very far right, uh, politicians in well, like the 70s British, I get yeah and uh, you know the thing about uh, i will say the most endearing thing i've ever heard um there's the famous thing uh the graffiti that says clapton is god right? yeah uh but his favorite is the uncropped version and apparently the uncropped version is the graffiti says clapton is god uh but then there's a dog peeing on it <laughs> i thought that was pretty funny that is pretty good uh, great. So now the time has come for you to make a decision. Okay, so I think I've got my top five here. For it the, is. This week, March 21st, 1981, my top favorite. Saturday. Saturday, March 21st, <laughs> 1981. Connor's top five. Top uh, number, number f- five. Number five. I am going to go. Actually, I'm going to call an audible. I'm going to bump my top five because I forgot something. Rush. Oh. Uh I originally was going to pick April Wine, but I forgot Rush was on this. Okay. Are you going I'm going to go Limelight. Limelight? Great. Okay. Number four, I'm going to go a stick song that was on the chart, but it wasn't in the top ten. Too Much Time on My Hands, which okay. I think is a that is an awesome stick song. Great. Um, a great music video. Yeah. Jimmy Fallon parody. It's so good that Jimmy Fallon parody did it. And it was like... <laughs> It was like, I, it's one of those parodies that's so, I'm like, the original video is just, you just, you didn't even add anything. You just did a shot by shot remake of the original. Yeah. And uh, it, it's so iconic that yeah. just doing those, taking the time to do that. That's a great song, great video. Number three, I'm going to go with The Who, You Better You Bet. Okay. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Yeah. I just think it's a really, uh, I think even The Who, like, kind of. I would say that. I, I think In all even, honesty, that's a more accessible song than most of The Who. Right. It's a like, very poppy, one of their most poppy songs. I think. Yeah. Like, if you were going to introduce someone to The Who, it would be uh, 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 akin to trying to introduce someone to Star Trek and yeah. showing them uh, uh, Star Trek Four, right. the one with the whales. Where, they, where it's like, oh, there's like light comedy and ridiculousness and yeah. whales and like, what? And then you try and show them another Star Trek movie and they're like, this is serious. Yeah. <laughs> like showing that, like getting someone into the Who, great song, but also not indicative of what you'd be getting into. Right. The pop side of the Who. Yeah. Like mainstream um, side of the Who. But number, great. Number two, I'll go with the classic Ario Speedwagon, Keep On Loving You. Okay. Okay. And the number one, I already said it earlier. I gotta say, it's the Clash. Yeah, Police on My Back. It's just the that's the only thing. Like you know, if rock music's supposed to be dangerous, that's probably the only like dangerous sounding thing on the. That's just the only thing that really kind of gets the blood pressure up. Gets me. Ah. It's also interesting, like it's so close to like new wavy. Yeah, you know, like it's that. Yeah, that punk. Kind of aesthetic of yeah, it's great. So that is uh, less rock, more talk. So nineteen eighty one, March twenty first, March twenty first, the very first mainstream rock chart. Any ones that were like particularly shocking to you? Uh, I think the Eric Clapton. That now that yeah. we talk about it, um, I it think it was just weird. coasting on the name of Eric Clapton. Just he was that he was still the rock god. At that point, so they were probably just like, "Oh, we got to play." Yeah, which uh, coasting on his reputation. What What do you think his reputation is now? Well, since eighty one, we've had his kind of like his dad rock period. Yeah, soft rock, soft rock, uh, you mellowed know, out. 
It's kind of like a legacy artist. So yeah. he's not like people don't badass guitar god is not necessarily the first thought. And he's obviously right. had a, he had his personal but the guy who was in Cream and stuff. Yeah, but like that's all part of the narrative. But I was growing up with uh, uh, listening to WHOM, and you know I heard Tears in Heaven and uh, my father's the, eyes, my father's eyes, and, and the, uh, the, the yeah, way you look tonight. This yeah. Wasn't that the, um, Wonderful tonight. Wonderful. You look wonderful tonight. Which like could have been played by any instrument. Yeah. But like it should have been a saxophone, yeah. right? Right. That's the crazy. Yeah. I feel like Eric Clapton, soft rock god. <laughs> yes. He's soft rock. That's what he became. I mean, yeah. He became a soft rock person. But like cream, ginger baker, you yeah. Know, you think the yard birds, yeah. His, some even as Derek, Derek and the and Dominoes. Dominoes. My God, yeah, yeah. yeah so that's he was a weird still, one. yeah. He was still, you know, he was cl- at that point. He was closer to that stuff than he was. Yeah, the soft rock stuff hadn't really. What do you think is the uh, biggest staying power? In this list, like which one do you think right now, if you talked about someone would be like, oh, yes, probably keep on loving you, I would say. Yeah, I would say keep on loving you. Maybe is that ironic or is it a good song in your opinion? I think it's a good song. Yeah, it's she it's on the cheesy side, but I think it's it's more when I I, I, uh, when I think of something that's good cheese, I say I heard the phrase more breathe than Velveeta. That's great. Yeah, it's well, it's well constructed cheese. Whereas I would say some of their later ballads, like um, "Can't Fight This Feeling," are more Velveeta. That's yeah. more like even uh, like saccharine, saccharine. In, even in the music video for yeah. like "Can't Fight This Feeling," like you kind of see Ario Speed, Speedwagon being like, oh, "We're gonna have to play this piece of shit for the rest of our lives." Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like the ironic. They knew what they were doing, but they're like, "Ah." Yeah, the unironic. Uh, the darkness you yeah. know like the darkness does those things ironically being like oh here's our cock rock you know crazy ass power ballad because that's a thing by now you know in 2004 whenever they were yeah. uh, uh, but they, they created this you know Ario right. Speedwagon is creating this being yeah. like oops <laughs> uh, right on well so March 21st 1981 how do you feel I think it's it's actually a pretty good list by the standards of this list. I've created a couple of the playlists. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say I people say I think 1981 was not a great year in pop music history. In terms of rock radio, it's still kind of like, I don't know, kind of coasting on the kind of the 70s and uh, the 70s and even the 60s with like Stevie Winwood like mm. the, and the Who. Yeah. Um there's still a lot of good songs on this list. Once you get later into the 80s and into the 90s, it, 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 we're gonna go through some rough patches. We're gonna see. Uh, we're gonna hear some. We're gonna talk about some uh, rough songs. Some songs that don't make the rotation of uh, oldie, uh, like classic hits and classic rock sta- uh, stations today. Right. Um, but I'd say, yeah, there's like I would say out of the top ten, there are like five or six songs that are still played on the radio today, which I think is, you know, that's pretty good for a top ten. Yeah. Hell yeah. It's funny to like look back on. There's so many like songs that were massive hits, and then. Mm-hmm. You don't Faded hear them today. Away. I think the ultimate example of this is you, Debbie Boone, Pat De- Boone's daughter. Use light up my life. Yeah, use light up my light. I sound like from from Pennsylvania. Use light up my life. <laughs> use light up my life, like uh, like the Steelers. Uh, um, that was like a number one hit on the chart for like twelve or thirteen weeks in nineteen seventy seven, but it's never played on yeah. like an oldie station. Yeah, it was very popular for those thirteen weeks. Right. And then it disappeared off the radio. Yeah. American hi fis flavor of the week. <laughs> Spelled W-E-A-K. I don't believe that one was top. Uh, that was number one for 13 weeks, but. Uh, damn close. God, damn I heard close. it so much. Uh, well, do you want to uh, say what we're going to be listening to next, next week? Yeah. Next week, we're covering September 28th, 1991. So we're going forward ten and a half years. That was the week that Nirvana's Nevermind was released. Um, so that was a, a week where you know that changed the course of rock history, but it's not reflected in these charts. We will actually see 
One of the bands that was on this week's episode is in the 1991 charts. Ooh, a little bit of teasing. A little bit of teasing. Oh, Actually, one of the bands on this week's chart, in the, in the very first chart in March 1981, tops the chart <laughs> in September 1991, which is not what you would expect from the year of... Uh, Never mind the week of Nevermind's release, but Nirvana yeah. was just an underground band from Seattle. Yeah. They didn't know in a few months that a lot of these bands on this list that we'll be looking at, at next week it would be. Well, actually, no, these are actually like a lot of Rock and Roll Hall of Famers. Yeah, but they would kind of be a couple of them would be kind of wiped off the face of the earth in just a couple of years because a uh, a little album from Seattle that would be released this week in 1991. So we're looking at the charts. Long distance dedication. September 28th of 1991, next week on Less Rock, More Talk. Um, my name's Connor McGrath. Uh, I've been Nick Robes. And uh, this is a podcast on the Nick Robes Podcast Network. <laughs> Tune in next week for the second episode of Less Rock, More Talk. More Talk.